0: And he began to lose the king of Israel. And I want you to look at a few verses here with me in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And notice in verse 22, of course, Samuel is a prophet, he's God's man. But look what it says here. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? He's talking to Saul as in obeying the voice of the Lord. In other words, of course, the answer is no, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, and, and when they gave their offerings and sacrifices, if they did that with an empty heart, you read Isaiah chapter 1, and basically God says this, I'm fed up, I'm fed up with the things that you're doing that are religious, but they have nothing to do with a surrendered heart. You don't love me. You're doing all of these other things, but you don't love me. That's what, what he's saying. And so success is bound up with obedience. Now look at this. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Now if success is obedience, the Bible says here, the way that you determine that success is by obeying, watch this, the voice of the Lord. I was sharing in our life group this morning that uh, the, the the launching pad to obedience is attentiveness. And that's for your children, but it's also for me. I need to learn to have an ear for God. I heard about a, a man that was back in some, some tribes translating the Bible. They, they did, had not had the Word of God, and so he was trying to give them the Bible in their language as a missionary. And he could not find a word for obedience. And he struggled and struggled. And so one day he was out, and um, one day a a man uh, called a dog. He is called a dog, and the dog came right to the man. And another man spoke to that man about his dog, and he said, your, your dog is all ear. Your dog is all ear. And the missionary that was translating the Bible, he said, I got, my, I got my word for obedience. Because that was a term that they used for instant obedience, all ear. And so that was the word that he used for obedience, all ear. And I wonder, are you all ear when God tells you to do something? The Bible here says, look at it in verse 22 there, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Now, we have the Word of God. God has spoken here, and God wants you to obey His Word. Now, continue reading. Behold, to obey is better, is better than sacrifice. Now, He's not talking about giving a sacrifice for money. Some of you, uh, perhaps God, God will put it upon your heart to to sacrifice an offering uh, today for, for a friend of ours in our, in our church fellowship that's having a difficult time. and it, But that's not talking about that kind of a sacrifice. This is, is giving an offering. And here's what he's saying. Obedience is better than religious activity. That's what he's saying. You can come to church and not obey. You can do all types of external religious activities and not have a spirit or an ear. You, can't, you won't be all ear. And continue reading. And to hearken than the fat of rams. Again, you're burning the fat of the ram. It's a religious exercise. Which is good if your heart is in it. You see the word hearken? In the Old Testament, it means to listen with a view to obedience. That's what it means. You cannot obey if you do not listen. I remember I taught my children that. I taught my baseball teams that. The very first practice, I said, I want you to look at me. When I talk, you you look at me. Look at my face. Look at my eye. I said, how do I know that you're listening? They said, I'm looking at you. I said, that's right. And when I talk, you look at me. And I taught them. I mean, the first week was about, you cannot coach a team of boys if they're not obedient. And I taught them to be attentive. Some of them came from homes where they had never learned to be attentive. To obey is better. It's better to be obedient than to go through the the motions of of what some call religiosity. I don't even know if that's a word. But just, just acting religious. For rebellion, look at this, is as the sin of witchcraft. He's comparing that. You say, wait, wait. You mean when I rebel against God's standard? Well, here's what He means: when a when a person is involved in witchcraft, they expose themselves to Satan's attacks intentionally. And when you rebel against God, you expose yourself to Satan. That's what He's saying. It says a sin of witchcraft. This is a serious matter to be, to live in rebellion. And stubbornness, now get this, this is an attitude. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, it talks about having a stiff neck. In fact, some of the Hebrews there of a fool is they have a stiff neck. And stubbornness is as, look at this, iniquity and idolatry. I'm my own idol. I worship myself. I'm not listening to God. I'm not listening to anybody. And the Bible says what happens is because you're not subjugated to God's authority, you're exposing yourself to the enemy. You're you're your own idol when when you're stubborn. Now look at this. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. Again, you see the voice of God, the words of God. Samuel told Saul, God has also rejected you from being king. I wonder how many privileges I've lost in my life because of my stubbornness, because of my rebellion. If you're, if you're in stubbornness and rebellion today, and you're rejecting the Word of God, you're rejecting God's authority, God, God will reject some things from your life. You're, you're going to end up on the losing end of the equation. Now, I want to illustrate this... Uh, Matter of partial obedience because partial obedience is disobedience. It's hypocrisy to come to church and carry your Bible and sing the songs if you have no intent to obey them. You know, that's what repentance is. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. And when you stumble, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. And and that's what the blood of Jesus is for. It's not just to to get you into heaven, to give you a clean record, but the blood of Jesus is there to to help you to come to the right hand throne of God and to confess your sins and and be able to to cleanse your conscience. So when God speaks to you, what do you do? Well, Matthew chapter 5 gives us an illustration in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 23, therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar. Now, this is Old Testament language. So this is not money. This is uh, in the temple. They would come and they would offer a sacrifice. Read your sacrifice. Let, Let me give it New Testament way of thinking. If you come to church to worship God. So you're coming to church and you're singing a song. Or you're listening to a sermon. That's what he's saying if thou bring your your worship to the altar, to church, and while you're there at church, during the sermon, during the song service, or during the drive to church, the Holy Spirit brings to your remembrance, and you remember that thy brother hath ought. Now, the word ought means it's, it's the word single. He has one thing against thee. He says leave there thy gift. Now so don't in the Old Testament leave there your sacrifice cuz God's not going to accept it. You can offer it. You can sing your song, you can listen to the sermon, you can write down notes. But he said don't it's it's futile. Leave your gift before the altar. Leave the worship service, go your way first. Here's the priority. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now listen, if we practice this in this church, in every church, there would be a revival that our nation could not contain. We come to church with dirty hands and dirty hearts, and we sing... And we hear sermons, we even pray prayers. And we offer these, these sacrifices, our worship to God. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's trying to give us this information, but we're not on the same frequency. And it's been years, it's been years since we've repented. When's the last time you told someone you were sorry? And I mean you meant it. When's the last time teenager you told your parents I was wrong? Will you forgive me? When's the last time you told your brother, your sister, I was wrong? When's the last time you told a coworker, you say, "Well, it's been a long time. Well, I got news for you. You're not that good." None of us is. And it's it's something that needs to be in our vocabulary. Not in a pretentious way, but if you want to have a fresh marriage, if you want to have a fresh encounter with God, it has to be instantaneous obedience. So when God speaks to you, how many times? During the week, several times the Holy Spirit will say, what you said or the way you said it was wrong. And I will have to make it right with God and I will have to make it right with someone in my family. Now, am I the only one that that experiences that? I I, I don't think so. God God doesn't want you to, quote, bury the hatchet. He wants you to, look, look, He wants you to expose it. We do all we can to cover our sin. God does everything He can to expose your sin so you can confess it and make it right. Augustine said this. This is a really powerful statement. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe but yourself. You see, the Word of God is not a buffet. The gospel is not a buffet. Well, i have some of that. I'll have some of that. Well, I don't like that. Well, you you really don't believe the Bible. You really don't believe God. You don't believe the gospel. God, God sets this standard And we do not set the terms for this relationship. Now, keep in mind, he's a good God, but he is God. And he has, I told you last week, I think, uh, every time God says, thou shalt not, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. And every time he says, thou shalt, he's saying, help yourself. So, this is another message on the core of the Christian life, which is stewardship. Stewardship. Most Christians do not understand stewardship, what it means to be a steward, but it's, it's one of the most important lessons you'll ever learn. Now, there's three principles about stewardship. We're going to look at the second one today. The first one, we took two weeks on. Number one, here's the first principle. God's role in stewardship. God is the owner. Stewardship is about authority. And that means if someone's in authority... And it's not me, then I'm I'm to be in submission to God's ownership. And when Jesus died on the cross, He not only died for my sins, but He died to purchase me. And He's my master, He's my owner, He's my boss, He's my Lord. So God's role in stewardship is He is the owner. Like the song we just heard, He owns me. And we'll talk about this later as we go through this series this is a blessing. This is a blessing. And when you see this correctly, you say, I'm glad. Because, you know, when I put my hands on the steering wheel, I, I mess up. But when the Lord Jesus takes care of things, then He knows what's going on. Now, here's the message today. What's my role in stewardship? I am not the owner. I am a manager. I'm the manager. Now I don't want you think of when I use the word manager that it's like you're you're kind of a low level boss no you you manage the resources that God has given to you according to the way he tells you to use them. God owns everything you own nothing, nothing you don't own your children, you don't own your spouse you don't own your hands. You don't own your brain. God, if you're a Christian, God owns everything. But He's given you these gifts, these precious gifts, for you to manage them. Stewardship is an issue of authority. And the way that I live and the way that I manage these things, people look at me and they know uh, if I'm a good steward. So let me give you a couple of areas, and I'm going to... Spend some time. I want to dig a little deep on this today. I'm going to just mention the first one. First of all, I, I need to manage my life, to manage my life. Now, when I say manage your life, what does that mean? Here's what I mean. When Jesus died on the cross, He not only purchased your soul and gave you a gateway into heaven, but He purchased your life. And God wants you to manage the whole of your life. Some of you have never asked God, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, I read the the letter from the uh, missionary today. Have you ever asked God, do you want me to be a missionary? Oh, no, that that's not me. Well, how do you know? have you Have you ever asked God if He wants you and in, in in full-time Christian service now in a sense everybody's in full-time Christian service in their heart, but perhaps occupational service is God's hand upon you for to do that every every Christian ought to consider the possibility of that, but the problem is it is it's like today, and there are some political reasons why, and they're very obvious. It, it, the recruits for the army and the navy and the armed forces are way down, and and so they keep lowering the bar and lowering the bar and lowering the bar. Well, the recruits for God God's men and women in, in spiritual leadership are, are are way down too. I mean, he look at me. God's having to pick up people like myself. God wants to use you. But have you ever considered that? God wants to use you to do something in this church. It may not be a teaching place. Every Christian ought to have a weekly ministry, W-E-E-K-L-Y. Something you do weekly. Or I don't want to be legalistic about it, but on a consistent basis. Where this is your ministry, where you're serving the Lord. Now, here's where most, most of us live, is we have committed our soul to God. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Salvation involves a person, not a doctrine. You know, the teaching is about a person. I know whom I have believed. It's Jesus. I'm going to heaven because I know Jesus. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He, this person, is able... Look at this. He's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, the word committed means to trust someone else with the deposit of something that is very valuable to you. And it's there for safekeeping. And, And because of their competence, because of their character, you say, I want you to keep this for me. I'm committing this to you. Paul, Paul said in 2 Timothy one, he said, "I'm committing the gospel to you." In 2 Timothy 2:2 2, 2, he talks about discipleship and he talks about a commitment. what he's saying this I'm entrusting something to you. well what do what, what he see entrusting to Jesus here, I, I have committed unto him against that day. I committed my soul to him. Have you ever committed your soul to Jesus? Have you ever been saved? Fifty-six years ago today, in about 30 minutes, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Fifty-six years ago today, February the 18th, 1968, I I trusted Jesus and He saved me as a nine-year-old boy. The best day of my life. He changed my heart and He began a journey in my life that I, I never regretted. I didn't understand I was committing my soul, but as I began to understand the Word of God, I did. I remember and it's not the only one, but I can remember trying to help someone in our church that was really doubting their salvation and and oh, they struggled so much and and a person like that is they're in such misery and I, may I say this it's it's not yours to tell a person that they're saved um the Holy Spirit can tell them that based on the Word of God. There are reasons why they doubt. And that's another message. And so I took them to Second Timothy 1.12. I'm persuaded that He is, God is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. And I explained to them the word commitment has to trust with the deposit to give something valuable to another for safekeeping. And I said, do you have a, do you have a bank account? He said, well, yes, I do. I said, well, I don't want to know how how much is in it. But I said, um, and this was during the week when I talked to him. I said, did you call the bank this morning to see, to check on your money? You see where I'm going with this note? He said, well, no. Did you call yesterday? No, the date. But you mean, you? and I've been a little sarcastic. You mean you've never called the bank to see if, and they, they didn't get it. If they're taking care of your money. So what you're telling me is you think that the bank has a better name and better character than God to care for your soul. It's like the blinders came off and they said, I, I've never thought of it that way. Well, this is what the Bible teaches. But here, here's my question. Some of you have committed your soul to God, but you've never committed your life to God. You've never committed your body to God. He wants every part of you, from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Give your life to Him. He's a good God. He's a good Savior. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 8 here, it, it talks about trusting God with your life. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we're alive or dead, listen. We are the Lord's. If you're a Christian, if you get sick and you're alive, you belong to God. That that sick body belongs to Him. One day when you die, that that dead body, your spirit is in heaven. You belong to Him. This is good news. He is responsible for you. Verse 9 of Romans 14. To this end, Christ died and rose and revived that He might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. He is Lord. He's your master. He's in charge. He calls the shots. Whether you like it or not, He does. You'll be a lot happier when you come to that realization. He's in charge. And the context here is about having a critical spirit in this passage Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not, thy brother? Leave me alone. I I, I don't want you... And it's about weaker brother and stronger brother. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord will judge my life. And only He can... It's a judgment seat of Christ. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And I will be evaluated on the way I lived my life. Not just, okay, Rick's a Christian, come on in. Yeah, I'll go there. But immediately after the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ. I belong to God and the reality of the gospel is that He is Lord whether I'm alive or I'm dead. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the goodness of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Have you ever given God your life? Have you ever given your body? You serve God with your body. I heard one preacher, he was, saw one of his members, out. he said, hey, we'll see you Sunday. Well, we won't be there, preacher. We'll be there in spirit. And the preacher said, well, we don't want any ghosts there now uh you 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 know the Bible talks about glorifying God with your spirit and you can serve God with your attitude but you you serve god your your spirit can 't cut the grass and your spirit can't set up the chairs and your spirit can't teach a class and your spirit can't you get the idea you have to give your body. God, Are you stewarding your life for God? He's the owner. You're the manager. So manage your life. Number two, I can manage my time. Are you managing your time for God's glory and His purposes? Every person in here has a space of time to accomplish the will of God. God saved you, He has a plan for your life, and He's given you a span of time. And you don't know when it's going to end. You have no idea. This past week, um, a friend of mine who impacted my life in a great way, he passed away uh, uh, two weeks ago. And it was very sudden. We had his funeral this past Wednesday. Um, You don't know when your time is going to end. The church I was at up in Virginia, there uh, three weeks ago, their children's pastor was had a fire pit in his backyard, and uh, it was caught on a neighbor's camera, and he was back there burning some things, and he took a, he took a, a gas tank back there, and he put some gasoline on it, and it came back up. And the gas tank exploded in the gasoline all over him. The neighbor said, it was on the news all over the place in Washington, D.C., that they thought it was an earthquake. They thought it was a bomb. They said it shook. Now, this is hard for me to believe, but it's what they said. It shook their houses, a little, a little gas can. He had, He had 67% of third-degree burns. I was asking Farron about this. How did they determine those percentages? He explained it to me. His legs, his arms, and his torso. Third degree burns. It burned off his eyebrows. It burned off his, his eyelashes. He had none. They did. A, he was to have 20-something surgeries. They had the first surgery, and then they went into the second surgery, and he died on the table. I think I think we we just we assume. Well, I'll have tomorrow. I can get right with God tomorrow. I, I can handle that tomorrow. There's a verse that stirs my heart in First Peter chapter one and verse seventeen. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. Now look at this. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, that little line, the time of your sojourning, the word pass, it's not a term of inactivity. It's a term of intentionality. It means to focus, to be occupied with a specific task. So I'm to take, the word sojourn means to be a stranger in a foreign country away from home. That's who we are as Christians. This is not our home. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. And we are to pass the time of our sojourning. The time of our sojourning. What is your time? 10 years? 20 years? 70 years? You say, I don't know, Rick. That's the point. Manage your time. Benjamin Franklin made a wise statement. He said, time is the stuff that life is made of. If you want to manage your life, manage your time. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm going to say something in a moment that will help you with this. It's not about... Uh, it's okay to have a, different, a kind of a system, you know, to use. That's not what I'm talking about. David said this. I love this verse. He said, For David, after he had... Acts 13, 36. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. Did you know you can only serve your own generation? But in serving your generation, if you make disciples that make disciples, you can serve many generations, but the only generation you can serve is right now. Be strategic about your time. The most precious resource that you have is your time. And whether or not you value your time is whether or not you're going to have success in life. One man said this, he said, Time flies, it's up to you to navigate. Time flies, it's up to you to navigate. God expects you to to use this time, Don't, don't let it pass you by. Since time is life, when I give you my time, I'm giving you the most precious thing I can give you. I'm giving you my life. When I give you a gift and I give you my money, I'm giving you the time that it took for me to earn that money. But sometimes it's easier to give money than your presence. I have a friend, he was wealthy and he, um, his church had a men's breakfast. And so he would, he would pay for the food. And so, uh, one day, uh, my friend told me that uh, he showed up one day early. And he was in there flipping pancakes and helping cook the sausages. And he said, hey, this is different. Because because of his wealth, it, it didn't cost him anything to write a check. But putting in time, that was another thing. Let's suppose a wealthy man came to you. And he said, I love you, and I'm going to make a deal. I'm going to give you some money every day. And here's the deal you have to use it because it's use it or lose it. If you don't spend it, it's gone. You say, Well, I'll, I'll spend it. And the cost, I'm going to give you $86,000, $86,400 every day, every day for the rest of your life almost $87,000, $86,400 every day. And you you can have that, but it's use it or lose it. Well, every day you have 86,400 seconds. And you use it or you lose it. And some people are wealthy, maybe not in finances, But they're wealthy in relationships because of how they use their time. Ephesians chapter 5, I ask you to turn there, verse 15. See that you walk circumspectly. It means to to look around, to be careful what you see. Not as fools, but as wise. This is the way a wise man lives. He's careful about his time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You effect... Eternity with your time. The word redeeming means to purchase. It has the idea of seeing life from a financial perspective. Now some of you, hopefully all of you, you have a financial budget. You need to see your time like a budget. And just like you say, well, I'm in the debit column over here. Well, you need to see your your time as a budget. And so this is this is this time I'm exchanging this time for this activity I'm using this time for this activity so you're not going to live in regret one day everything costs something so when he says they're redeeming the time because the days are evil here's what he's saying I want you to get a good bargain on what you're using your time for there's a verse I thought about this about Joshua you want to write down Joshua eleven fifteen. 15. Here's what it says. Joshua eleven fifteen. 15. As the Lord commanded Moses, His servant, so did Moses command Joshua. And so did Joshua. Joshua left nothing... Listen, Joshua left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Joshua left nothing undone of all that God commanded Moses. That's powerful. He was so faithful to God's commandments. When you go to church and you're faithful to church, you're a witness. Man, people see you drive. Well, there they go again. They, they go to church every week. A car not in the driveway, you're pulling out. You're a testimony to people. When you attend life group, when you pay your tithes and you support missionaries, it testifies to your children that God is real and God God is our source. When there's activities that you can't participate in, there's some places you can't go, some things you can't watch. It's a testimony to people. I'm not talking about being a snob, but just saying, I can't do this. I belong to Jesus, and I want to be a good steward. Paderewski, the great piano player, was a tremendous, one of the best pianists that ever lived. And somebody came to him one time and said, I, I would give my life, I would give my life if I could play the piano like you. And he looked at him, he said, I did. I did. I love Warren Wiersbe. He went to heaven in 2019, in May, and um, so much I could say about him, but we enjoy the fruits of his ministry. But I'm going to tell you, my heart is stirred when I think about Weersby, and and the the dedication to God in the stewardship that that man had with his time. Weersby was a voracious reader. He learned to write. And and he said no to a lot of things, and wrote over three hundred books. I'm not talking about pamphlets; I'm talking about books, books that will be printed probably till Jesus comes. Listen carefully, because of his stewardship. I wonder. Listen, what has God put in your hands? that is dormant because of your lack of discipline. You're, you're, you're a poor steward. I know, I know a lot of men don't read, and I, I know I get paid for it, so I understand that. But I'm going to tell you, fellas, reading is not for women. By the way, you have to read the Bible you can, you can learn to read. You don't need to read all the time. But you need to learn something. Read about marriage. Read about parenting. If you don't want to do that, find some of the books on CD or something where they can read to you or whatever the thing is. How they do that now. You can do that. But, but put something in your mind and in your heart and grow. I came across this quote the other day. It stirred me. A wasted life. Is nothing more than a collection of wasted days. Wow, a wasted life is nothing more than a collection of wasted days. Well that's true, and it starts with me. I don't want to waste my days. Ecclesiastes 910 whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. give your energy to it. For there is no work, the word work there means the fruit of your labor, nor device. These are plans. There's not going to be any fruit of labor or plans, nor knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Every, Every person here, you have an expiration date. And no, you don't think about it. But maybe you need to think about it more. Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou, thou knowest not what a day, a day will change your life. What a day will bring forth. The will of God is today. James four, fourteen: Whereas ye know not, you don't know what's on the morrow. But what is your life? It's a vapor. It's like a puff of smoke. It appears for a little time. I have that underlined, a little time, and it vanishes away. It's gone. It's just gone. I mean, I kill over dead. I leave. The church gets another pastor. The church goes on. And the same, the same for every person in here. Nick Saban retires. They just get another coach. The Bible says that the lust of the flesh passes away, but he that does the will of God abides forever. And this is my prayer for me, and I pray for you. Psalm ninety twelve. teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. If you do not number your days, this is the Bible, folks, you will live a life of foolish Regret. One of my buddies in Richmond, Virginia, was pastoring and he went in to visit a a lady. And she had just found out that she had cancer. And the pastor didn't know it. He walked in and he saw the doctor coming out of her room. And she said, Pastor, the doctor just came in. he said, yeah, I saw the doctor coming out of the room. She said, he told me I have stage four cancer. And he was speechless and tried to come up with something, but she wanted to talk. And she said, preacher, she said, when he finished talking, she said, you see that clock on the wall? You've been in hospital rooms and see the clock on the wall. You See that clock on the wall? She said, when he walked out, I started hearing the clock tick. You know, you don't hear it now. One day you'll hear it. Someone said the best use of life is love. The best expression of love is time. And the best time to love is now, right now. God is the owner. I manage his resources and he has given me precious gifts. He's given me life. Sometimes it's hard, but he's given it to me. And he's given me time. And my life, good or bad, is what I do in these days and what I do in these days impacts eternity I want you to bow your heads with me you've been so attentive I want to ask you a question have you ever confessed God as your savior have you ever been saved have you ever been born again Are you 100% sure that if your heart were to stop beating and and you died, that you would go to heaven? There is a heaven and there is a hell. And you can know that you're going to heaven. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. And he paid the penalty for your sins. And he wants you to know that your sins are forgiven. If you would come to him right now, Say, God, I have broken your law. I know that I'm a sinner and I know I deserve hell. And I've done wrong. But I want to be forgiven. I want to know you personally. I want to walk with you. I want a new life. And he will save you and change you. And he will come and live in your heart and help you if you'd like to have that, I want you to just pray this prayer in your heart to God. You don't have to pray it out loud, but from your heart to God's heart. Dear God, I know I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. Right now, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And take me to heaven when I die. But Lord, more than that, help me to live for you while I live. And help me be a good steward. Help me to manage the resources that you have given to me. And I not only claim you as my Savior, but as my Master. Thank you for saving me. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and nobody's looking but me. If there's someone here, you say, preacher, when I walked in, I was not a Christian, but I prayed that prayer and I meant it. With all of my heart. I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to do that. But I would like to know if if, if that's you, would you slip your hand up and down? I prayed that prayer and I meant it with all of my heart. I meant it with all of my heart. I hope that there are men and women here and teenagers that this week you will repent, you will change your mind and change your heart and change your actions about who runs your life and how you use your time. Well, Father, I pray that you would help us. Lord, this is easy to preach and it's hard to live. But Lord, you're you're the Lord not only of the grave, but Lord, you're the Lord of life. And I pray that we would Ask questions before we do things. Is this the wisest thing to do? Is this the right thing to do? Is this a good buy on my time? Help us to have eternity in mind. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Oh God, do a work in our hearts as we think about stewardship in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brother Charlie, if you get a, a plate back there and just stand back there for me and help us out. And if you could give and if you want to just put, uh, you can go to the uh, church website and do that. Or if God's not speaking to you, I don't want you to feel compelled. You do what God wants you to do. But it's a it's a valid need and you can come see me if you have questions about that, okay? God bless you. You're dismissed. Love you a bunch. Thank you.